chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Chris Trevino and Shotgun Spratling. And we're going to tell you everything you need to know about USC's win over San Jose State in the Coliseum last night, 56-28. to We're going to talk about Zachariah Branch, Caleb Williams, the new look defense, and so much more, as well as get to some of your guys' comments and live callers if you want to call in at 512-4-TUNNEL. But guys, before we get to that, a big win for USC yesterday, and we were all in the Coliseum to watch it. What were some of your biggest takeaways? And it's just really good to be in the studio with you guys talking college football once again. I'm going to go first because if you watched Incident Analysis last night, you know that uh, our boy Shadi was very hoarse. He lost his voice throughout the course of the game because he was talking to anyone and anyone he could uh, find on the sideline, <laughs> including Jennifer Cohen making her Coliseum debut, the new athletic director. So Shotgun is a little bit you know, on the IL a little bit. Uh, if you think that's going to stop him from going on a long shotgun rant, you're absolutely <laughs> uh, mistaken. Uh, get ready for some bad Ed Orgeron impressions uh, from our buddy here. So Unintentional. Unintentional. Yeah, see, he's coming out a little bit. But, yes, takeaways. Obviously, first game of the season, a big win. Almost covered the spread. We all took an L on picking the spread. It was just so close, though. But if you looked at the reaction, obviously, to this game, I feel like there's two very different sides. There's one side that says, oh, look, it was a glorified practice kind of scrimmage. They played a lot of people. They were getting a lot of uh, tape on these guys for the offensive line, for the defense, see what works, what doesn't, who is playing, who actually is going to be a playmaker this year, who is, you know, was just showing us something in practice and is not translating to Saturdays. Let's get all that tape and let's put it together and then go back and figure out what this team actually looks like moving forward, specifically with the defense. And then the other side is like, this is the worst USC team I've ever seen in my life. They get rid of it all, burn it all down. The defense is terrible. Fire Alex Grinch, fire Alex Grinch, get rid of it all. That is the two very different sides that, so I wonder in the chat how many people are on each of those sides. I know there's probably a lot of fire Grinches. It's probably going off on the chat room, right, or the, the chat right now. So I'm on the side of, Let's all just wait a second. Let's just take a chill pill for a second. This is the first four quarters of football for USC in 2023. Now, they are more talented on defense. There was a lot of things to like about that game, just as a tire, not necessarily defense, but Zachary Branch is a star. Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams. The offense is still explosive. The defense does have some work to do, but Lincoln Riley said 
the ceiling is higher for this group. And I think that's the most important thing that should be taken away from this is that, yes, we weren't going to see the ceiling of this team the first game against San Jose State. There's a lot, a lot of room for growth. But the ceiling is so much higher for all that talent. And you have to think it is all on the coaches because they got the talent. They got the depth. They brought in all this firepower on defense. So they have to make it work. And like Riley said, they believe they have the people in that room to make it work. So I think we should all just take a deep breath. It's the first game. Let them develop. Let them get some reps. Let them play a little football. And then you can start uh, jumping off whatever you want to jump off. Yeah, we'll see the growth potential of the team the next couple weeks. Good word. If we see them grow, you can feel better about it. So that's why I'm not going to put too much stock in one game at the very beginning of the season. Um, but if in two weeks you see a lot of the same mistakes against Stanford, you'll probably still win that game. But that's when you go, okay, that there's got to be some wholesale changes. Like there's got to be some big, big time adjustments that need to be done. But the fact you're playing so many different guys, you're trying out guys beside each other, seeing how how it works. Um, they tried five different offensive line combinations before they fully got to all the reserves putting in there. So um, those type of things are not going to happen in game in week six, week seven. You're playing Utah and Notre Dame. That's not going to happen. So, you know, you're trying some different things out. The offense was still successful, even though it was inconsistent. And they punted twice. Everything else was a touchdown. So what's that? Two, four, five, six, seven touchdowns and two punts. That was their the offense today. So that's pretty good. And now you're going to look at it and be like, there's going to be less drives this year, so you have to be more efficient. So you got to cut out those inconsistencies, and that's what they'll be you know, focusing on this week. But you still look at it and go, besides the one three and out, uh, the second drive of the game, you feel like they moved the ball pretty well. And again, there were some issues, offensive line. Um, you know, there, There's definitely some concerns there. I have more concerns with the offensive line than I do the defense at this moment, just because I think the defense can still grow a lot. I think the offensive line can too, but you got to protect 13. That's the biggest thing. So you get out of your rush lanes a couple times. Those are correctable things. But could, you know, gelling as an offensive line can be a process, and that's something when you're mixing all those lines can be a challenge. So that's something that has to be has to be fixed in a hurry for them. I'm I'm with you in that. I thought the offensive line was sort of a more worrisome takeaway than the defense from that game one because on paper, you know, the guys you brought in, it's should be a really good offensive line. And the fact that they're still trying different combinations makes me go a little bit like you couldn't find the best Ivan Fall camp. I know you probably want to get the, that game film, see who's you know good under pressure on those live bullets. Uh, but still, it's obviously worrisome because you have you know this guy <laughs> back there. You want to you want to protect your Heisman winner, and you're only going to go so far as you know the defense will take you. But obviously, how far this guy and his talent will will guide that offense. So you have to protect him. You cannot, absolutely cannot afford an injury to him so you need to figure out that offensive line on paper it should be better than i think it was it showed you know there was a couple of times where it was like oh this is this doesn't look like a, a good off a usc offensive line but again they are trying out new combinations they're throwing a bunch of people in there you know you had a true freshman starting in there so you know you give them a little bit of leeway there but it has to be something you correct by week three week two you can't let number 13 take hits and also, I will say the offensive game plan was kind of unique, interesting, weird, even. 
a lot of the option stuff that we didn't see at all last week. I mean, last year, um, it's a lot of two-back sets, which maybe that's something they want to use more. But also, it felt a lot like, all right, we're going to put a bunch of stuff out there, so you got to prepare for a bunch of stuff, whoever your next opponent is, whoever the next opponent after that. Utah is going to have to prepare. All right, they made runs of two-back stuff. We've seen it at the very – so all those extra things that kind of got thrown in, and they did that a little bit against Rice last year as well, threw some stuff in there that they didn't really use a lot uh, later in the season. They would pick and choose every once in a while. But it was kind of like, all right, it's kind of a grab bag. Again, I still feel like – USC treated it at least like a glorified scrimmage. I don't want to take anything away from San Jose State. I think they're a good team that will compete for the Mountain West title, especially with Cordero, his ability to, to um, you know, move and get out of the pocket and create some uh, some distress for the defense. I think they will challenge for the, the Mountain West title. But for USC, they saw it as we're better than this team. We can take care of business. So let's try a bunch of stuff out. Let's also put a bunch of stuff on tape that other teams now have to do, kind of like you would a scrimmage, you know. Let's try it out, see what happens, see what kind of works, put it out there. Um, and now teams have to prepare for those type things, all the triple option stuff they were kind of running. Um, and then, because I don't think they want to run Caleb a ton. If you remember last year, they basically didn't run him at all until the end of the season. And then against Notre Dame in particular, they did, and it was – Definitely in the game plan a lot for the Pac-12 championship. You saw early they were going to it and then the injury. So that that's one of the reasons why the game plan was so difficult for them to adjust at that time because they I, I think they had put a lot into, hey, he's going to be an, a factor here because he didn't do it a lot in their first game, but they had a lot of success the couple times he did get outside. So they were like, okay, we can attack them this way. So it didn't happen there. So I, I think there was just some things yesterday that you won't necessarily see the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, it – for on the offensive side, I think that was the case. On the defensive side, you need to you need to not see some of those things too, and that's the mistakes. The rush lanes were probably the biggest thing when rewatching the game. It's just you know the defense tackles. You talk about Bear Alexander, Jack Sullivan, and Keon Bars, like how they're going to be uh, such pass rush presences uh, in this. But they were some of the guys that were getting out of their pass lanes, their rush lanes, and creating those gaps for um, for Shevin Cordero to be able to run through. So I, I think. Those things have to be cleaned up. I thought the tackling was much better. There were a couple missed tackles, and you know, people noted it significantly. But Pro Football Focus, their initial grading they had USC was six missed tackles, which is a solid number. You know, if you can be between you know five and seven every game, you'll be happy with your tackling efforts. USC averaged over ten last year, and you know, their three losses they had at least twelve in each game. And the two Utah games, they had, I think, combined like 42. So, you know, those two games in particular, they didn't tackle at all. Um, and Tulane, they had 12. And then there was one other game, uh, Arizona, they had a lot. They had 18, I think, in that one, but just the talent difference. But if, if you get six missed tackles, you'll feel pretty confident in what your defense is doing. And just as long as they're not in the crucial times, yeah. um, like getting off the field on third and 22. I know that's the <laughs> one one play that is going to stick in the crawl of every single USC fan. Um, it's going viral on message boards I'm and on sure social it's, media. It's been all over the P message boards and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, so there's things that need to be cleaned up for sure. But you liked, I liked a lot of the things. And probably the biggest thing I noticed watching the, watching the game back uh, today is just the difference that Eric Gentry makes. 
like nothing against Tacky Curtis. He made some freshman mistakes, which is to be expected. He made a couple plays. He was pretty non-existent, to be honest. He also was lucky. Uh, I know they showed it on the broadcast. There was a running back wide open on a play that the play that Max Williams got a holding call. That's on Tacky Curtis. He just completely lost the guy. So like that would show up a lot more if they would scored a touchdown on it. But like he he didn't do anything special. He didn't besides that play. He didn't do anything terrible. There were some times where he missed his gaps and different different things. True freshman, exactly. But you saw how different it was when Eric Gentry went in. The instincts that he has to be able to re-diagnose the very first play he goes in, and he diagnoses that it's a run. He cuts behind the offensive lineman. The lineman's like starting to block, and it looks well. Oh, where'd he go? Because he's already gone by him. Because he's such an athlete, and forces him out of bounds for a, t- a tackle for loss. How do you lose a six foot seven guy? <laughs> How do you lose a six foot seven guy? That's what I'm yelling at him, uh, Mike, as a coach. I think Eric Gentry turned sideways. So he gets <laughs> right. No, we can see him. Uh, but hey, he added weight this year. But that's that's the. That's the difference maker to me. You know, that was the biggest difference when he was on the field. It just looked completely different. The only, I think, the only drive I had to look this up. I was trying to chart this before um, we started, but I think the only drive they scored on was the one right before the half when he was on the field. And like at USC, I think it was they had uh, Jack. Maybe you can correct me on this. Um, they had I think three three and outs on defense, or four three and outs, and one four and out. So five drives where you get off the field in four plays or less. And I think Eric Gentry was out there for the majority of them, three if not four of those. So um, that just shows you the difference maker he can be. So keeping him healthy is going to be huge for them because it's a no-fly zone over the middle. So all the issues they've had with tight ends, you notice those all, a lot of those happened after he got injured last year. A lot of those throws over the middle early in the season last year were the ones that were, okay, that was a little bit high, and suddenly Max Williams has a pick. Oh, it's tipped, and suddenly, um, well, I think it was Max Williams has a pick against Oregon State as well. Thinking of the Stanford game and the Oregon State game, like because of his wingspan, his size, it, it makes it that much more difficult to throw those tight ends. Um, so, and then you can do different things. It, it was fun watching um, Arizona DB, uh, Christian Wallace playing on the name. <laughs> I, I wanted to say Covington. I was I was surprised that Jacoby Covington didn't play more. I was mm-hmm. a little bit surprised by that. There were a lot of rotations on defense, but there were some guys that were notably absent from some of those rotations. They used twenty five players on defense. Now a couple of those were two snaps. Um, you know, with Corey Foreman, Sinjin Astani, and Kobe Pepe, and then um, Zion Branch played a handful of snaps as well. So, but still basically too deep on defense on offense they've used 35 guys so a ton of guys got playing time ton of guys on special teams as well so everyone got reps in the glorified scrimmage that it was uh, and usc comes out with a 28 point victory so as long as you didn't bet for usc there should be some things you should be happy about after that game i feel like we were starting with just general takeaways and we ended up getting into to a lot of thoughts from yesterday and before i forget about it we've got a super chat to get to uh chris this one it comes from you five bucks from manford saying thank you for the shout out in the ghost notes so he's read them first of all jack first mistake of the season it's money bags manford <laughs> it is money bags manford my bad and if it this if the soundboard was working you would have to play the cha-ching so i'm just gonna do it myself cha-ching money bags manford yes he is real i met him at the game, I was standing on the sideline. I don't know where he saw me because I was up against the wall. And he was like, I need to tell you, I'm, I'm Moneybags Manford. And after the paramedics revived me and brought me back, <laughs> we had a conversation. I don't know what he was doing there. Obviously, he was there for the game. Maybe he was buying the Coliseum. But, yes, he was in my ghost notes. Uh, Shotgun actually brought me uh, some cilantro. 
And I know he's a big Cilantro Boys fan, so just a, a little uh, a little love for the uh, Cilantro Boys. So, yes, Moneybags, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, he is real. I can confirm it. Okay, now you don't have to put money to get your comments on the board, but just so you guys know, leave your comments and your questions wherever you're watching. We'll be able to put them on the screen. We'll get to more questions at the end. And as always, if you want to call into the show, we'll get to those probably the last thing of the episode, but 512-4-TUNNEL. But every super chat will be answered. If First. you want it, if you want a guarantee, it'll be answered. A super chat will, but you don't actually need to donate. But thank you so much to those who do donate. And also, we're getting some comments that we're being too positive, Chris. This is exactly what Tulane was. Hey guys, you can call in. You have an opportunity to then ask that question. What you what you want to ask about the defense, and we'll try to answer as many as. We but can. Tulane was at the end of the year. That was the last game of the year. This is the first game of twenty twenty three. I think there's a difference. A little bit. I think there's a difference. And there was certainly one thing yesterday that no USC fan could be negative on. That was Zachariah Branch, true freshman, had one of the most electric debuts in maybe USC history. And you can keep an eye out on something Chris might be working on in that regard. But 232 all-purpose yards for the freshman from Bishop Gorman had a 25-yard receiving touchdown, a 96-yard kickoff return touchdown, becoming the first Trojan ever or first Trojan since Dory Jackson to have one of, or one of each in one game, and the first freshman with a, with a kickoff return touchdown since Jackson as well. He, he really was. The the difference maker on the field. I thought that kickoff return touchdown changed the tide to the game for USC. They didn't really look back after that. And I know that you guys both and everyone here on the staff has been expecting a lot from Zachariah Branch. But I think we all have to admit that was a huge debut yesterday, breaking nearly everyone's expectations. I mean, it's Zachariah Branch. Uh, I've written about him all offseason. He is him is a popular thing that will be said about number one. He is him. There's a reason why he was our number one ranked wide receiver in the country. I don't care that he's not a big guy. If you meet him, you shake his hand, and you're like, okay, this guy is different. And if the first time you see him catch a ball and move in practice, you're like, this guy moves at a different speed than everyone else. And that's including some pretty talented wide receivers on his in his in his uh, wide receiver room on his team. So yeah, he runs a 10-3. He runs a 4-3-8. He is just electrifying with the ball's hands and I'm glad he got introduced to college football in an amazing way and that was with his game-changing kickoff return for a touchdown and showing his his playmaking ability and I was so sure Lincoln Riley was going to use him in a big way this season. He wasn't listed as a starter, but that didn't matter. He was going to get on the field because of his versatility and all the different ways you can use him and that electrifying speed, you, you just have to get him on the field. And let's give shout out to his fellow freshman, Mikai Lemon, for a great block on that 25-yard yeah. touchdown that he had. I would re-watching I was a little worried that those refs were going to call blocking the back, but great block by Mikai Lemon springing his uh, teammate, fellow freshman, for Zachariah Branch for a touchdown. And yeah, just Zach, glad we got to hear him speak because Lincoln Riley typically rarely ever lets freshmen talk to media, so glad he was able to get in there. And I got uh, a little bit of theory on that one. I think that's a little bit to do with NIL. And, hey, these guys are going to be out talking at events anyway, so people are going to have their hands on them kind of, you know, in that regard. So I think it's like I might as well just let it go. As long as they've got the media training and you feel comfortable that, you know, that they're not going to say, uh, you know, kind of Jack Jones things, <laughs> who's going to win the Heisman, you know, a set first practice or second practice, um, then you feel like, all right, we, just, we kind of have to now. Just I, with the way the game is going. 
To be fair to Jack Jones, though, I would believe it more if Zacharias said it in his first practice. Uh, but also, Zach Branch is really well spoken. Like, if you've ever interviewed yeah. him, he's really well spoken. Like, better than some guys that have been on this team for a long time. He's very well spoken. You know, he's been he's had he's been under the spotlight for a long time, so he's very well versed in the media, and he's very funny and personable. He was, you know, he was the star of the 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 presser last uh, last night. I would I would say. Yeah, and the the thing that stood out to me in the press conference, the interviews we did was the way his teammates described him. It wasn't that he's amazing, he can do all these freakish things. We've heard those things before. It was he brings so much energy, you have to be energetic around him. Like he just brings everyone else up an extra level. Whether it's at a 5 a.m. workout, whether it's you know in a third quarter of a game where you feel like, hey, this team's too closer than they should be, or if they're out getting ramen or something, you know, I feel like you'd be like, well, if Zach's going, I'm going, you know, because yeah. he's a guy that you feel like you want to be around. I feel like he um, has that gravitational pull in a similar way that Caleb Williams does. Like you just want to be around him because he's fun. He's having a great time. And why not be around someone who's like that? He's magnetizing. You can't be helped but being magnetic. drawn. Good magnetic. He, he can't. Uh, you can't draw draw away from me. So well, unless you're trying to catch him as a defender, then that's <laughs> then that's the only time. But uh, Justin Dita told a great story about him, like how he's just his personality is so positive. Like you know, G Justin was like, not that I'm not like I'm pessimistic or anything. It's just like sometimes I'll just be like zoned out going to practice. He's like you're right, Didi. <laughs> you just can't help but like pick you up. And the way he did it was so much funnier. The way he said it, uh, you can check that video out up on our YouTube page. But it was it was a great, you know, uh, Justin Dietrich impression of uh, Zachariah Branch uh, getting him uh, hyped up. Or and, and similarly, Jamil Muhammad said he doesn't even know what he just did. <laughs> Jamil's like, I know what he did, but he's like, he's probably just going to go home and play video games like it was nothing. And honestly, like Jack and I talked about in this analysis. Does he know that he's not supposed to do that? Like, I don't, I don't think he does. He's like, it's just, it's a football game. This is what I do when I get on the football field, right? Like, yeah, I think he'll go to the NFL on like his first game. He'll be like, oh, wait, this is what I'm supposed I, to do. Right? I can't do this. I can't blow your minds in the first game of the. And and Jamil Muhammad's blocker on that kickoff, he knew though. According to Jamil Muhammad, <laughs> let's put that out there. I watched, we rewatched it, and Jamil Muhammad was on the, wasn't even on the field. He was on the field. <laughs> okay. However, the guy who was blocking actually kind of left and took off, was like was full sprint, almost caught up with Zachariah Branch when he kind of slowed down on the sidelines. Um, so. But according to Jamil Muhammad, he was blocking on that kickoff return, and his defender said, oh, he's gone. <laughs> and Jamil was like, what? And then, <laughs> yeah, so even his defender knew that it was a touchdown. Oh, so, yeah, like you said, according to Jamil Muhammad, but another great little story about the the legend of Zachariah Branch. True. Well, he was asked too about his Cristiano Ronaldo celebration. He got he was so passionate about that and it, it, it really is like I'm not sure he he realizes the the depth of what he just did cuz Shaka and I were talking about it on instant analysis. It's not that much different than the games he'd play in high school, like 250 nearly all-purpose yards. That's normal to him at this point. And everyone has that, you know, welcome to college or welcome to the NFL moment. And maybe his is still yet to come. But for it to not happen in the first game, like when's the last football game he played that that didn't really happen? 
Has it ever? I don't know. <laughs> did he get hurt? And like, did he roll an ankle the first game? I mean, the first play or something of a game? That'd be the only way, it seems like. Like, every time we've seen him, you know, seven <laughs> on seven or whatever, it's just like, oh, touchdown, oh, yeah. touchdown, oh. I'm sure he was excited for someone to kick him the ball, because I'm sure in, in high school, every every kicker was a you don't even think of You kick him to number one, you're off the team. You just pack your bags. Go home. So I'm sure he was excited. I don't know how many more kicks he's going to get. I'm sure he got a couple, but like I know Nevada's already like, yeah, no, 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 we're not even. They'd rather they'd rather just kick it right out of bounds every time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I. I, It's interesting that uh, how many times have people in the last two years or last three, four years, like just just call for a fair catch every time, (laughs) every kickoff, call for a fair catch. That's why you don't do it. Because you got to trust your playmakers. So if it's Relique Brown back there, or it's Zachariah, or whoever it is, you, Valus Jones, you know, a, a ways back, you trust your playmakers to go make a play. And as long as you don't call for a fair catch and fumble the ball on the four yard line, or fumble the ball <laughs> out of bounds at the one yard line, then you should then you, you live with making it to the twenty yard line. Or don't let it bounce and you catch it at the four. <laughs> You're like. Why don't I just do like, that? As long as you do the fundamentals. Sure. And if you just don't – you don't have a great return, you only get to the 18-yard line, you live with it. Because when things go right, they can go real right and change the – completely change the momentum of a game. I'm curious. Have your guys' expectations for Branch's entire season changed at all? Like, I know that you guys were both high, and, and as I mentioned before, everyone on the staff was high about what he could do. You know, seeing him in practice, just a different level of talent. Uh, and obviously, one of the more heralded freshman recruits in the country – did the fact that he went out and did that in his first collegiate game and made it look so easy change your already high expectations for his season? I mean, I both predicted for him to be the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, you know, win that award. So I'm still with that. I even uh, After that game, I feel great about that prediction. Obviously, there's a couple of highly touted freshman quarterbacks in this league, in the Pac-12, that obviously they'll get a little bit more of a boost being starters if they start. But I'm still... I still like my dog in the fight and Zachariah Branch are picking him to do that. You know, could that mean, you know, he gets an all Pac-12 selection as well? And maybe I I felt really secure about him being a freshman All-American by the end of the season. I think that's a pretty good baseline as well. Maybe he'll get maybe a third team All-American or a second team spot as a returner, depending on what he does for the rest of the season. Uh, not freshman, but like all of college football. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's still on track for me just based on what I predicted for as the Pac-12 freshman of the year. But yeah, you could raise that a little bit, maybe and maybe an All-American nod down the line. I'm not saying first team or anything, but you know, a little special teams love or something like that. I will pump the brakes just a little bit. Okay. Remember Relique Brown last year in the opener? How much hype there was around him, making a couple plays. Now he did get banged up. Um, but I think it's just – and I, I think Chris and I have been – two of the highest, if not the highest, on Zachariah Branch since he committed to USC. Um, but there's just, I'm curious to see how the reps play out because that slot receiver position, if you only have one. Now, yesterday, I will say there were a lot of four wide receiver sets compared to what they did last year. I haven't got the full numbers done with my charting and stuff, but last year you, there was a tight end on the field a ton. Um, and we'll see, you know, based on game plan versus game plan the next couple weeks, if that's similar or if they just feel like 
we got to get Mario on the field. we got to get Zachariah Branch on the field. we got to get Taj Washington on the field. Maybe you start being like, oh, we want to get Deuce on the field in the slot. He actually had the most targets of any USC receiver Which I was yesterday. surprised by. Now, part of those, I think he had three or four late in the game. Uh, but still, that means he had a couple even before, you know, kind of the garbage time. Um, and then Relique Brown. Like, we didn't see him until – the backups were in, and by backups, I mean Miller Moss comes in the game. Like I don't think he played a snap before then as far as on offense. So does he get back in the mix? And maybe that's something, maybe that's a motivating thing for him at practice. You know, So you have four really talented slot options. So how do they try to use those? And then if you throw in Deuce Robinson, if you throw in Makai Lemon, you throw like all those different pieces they used yesterday – how do those reps continue to play out as the season goes along? All right, you know, is, are people going to stay outside and inside? Or are people going to move around? A lot of different things that could play out. So that's the one thing I will caution on his, you know, because there's so many weapons on the offense, will it take away from him getting as many opportunities as necessary to be on a, you know, a true All-American team versus just a freshman All-American team or just the Pac-12? Um, he'll still get the opportunities on special teams for sure. But then is anyone going to kick to him going forward either? And I'll, and I'll just say, counter to you, if you're special, you're special, and you got to be it's on the true. field. It's true. If you're special, you're special, you got to be on the field. Well, and we talked with wide receiver coach Jenna Simmons earlier in the week about just how many receivers we could expect to see out there. And, you know, he kind of dodged the question a little bit and said, we're, we're trying to play a lot of people. They got nearly every scholarship wide receiver on the field for the first drive. And you had some guys getting targets. You had Quentin Joyner, a freshman, getting a carry on the first drive. So it was clear, like, from the get-go, USC was going to get these guys out on the field. Now, Branch was the one that stuck out the, or stuck out the most in a positive way. But I thought it was very interesting to see the first drive of USC's entire season. I know they got Robinson, Lemon, obviously Branch with all of those regular receivers that you expected to see maybe out there on that first drive. And Lincoln Riley was putting them on the field immediately. Nine. Nine different receivers played on the first drive. Uh, Deuce Robinson had one snap. Uh, Makai Lemon had two snaps. Zachariah Branch only had three snaps. But like all those guys were getting in. Jacoby Lane had two snaps. Now how does that play out as we go forward? And I think that's what you want to do because you got recruits in the stands. I talked to Xavier Jordan, you know, the Sierra Canyon wide receiver commit on Friday. I asked him, hey, you're going to the game? That's what he told me he was going. He said, okay, what do you want to watch? Oh, I want to watch, you know, I want to. I know the offense is going to do well. That's what he told me. And then he said, but I want to watch the receiver rotations. I want to see, are those freshmen getting in? Every, every recruit wants to think, all right, they play their freshman. If I'm special, I'm special. I'm going to get on the field. So when you can do that on a first drive and say, all right, let's mix it up. Let's throw a bunch of guys in there. And we saw the same thing last year against Rice. Um, Relique Brown got a carry or two on the very first drive. So, you know, Lincoln probably knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing as far as recruiting. He knows what he's doing to try to keep everybody happy. I told Chris at one point, um, the touchdown drive that Brendan Rice scored a touchdown, I said, all right, do you want to try to get Deuce the ball, or do you want to get you know you got to get Brendan Rice a touch, yeah. make him happy? And the first pass was a try to get it to Deuce Robinson over the middle, just off the fingertips or just over Caleb Williams throwing off a back foot a little bit there. Could have you know really dug it in there and connected on that one maybe. But then the next one, get it out to Brendan Rice, nice little block from Taj Washington who always does everything kind of right for you. Um, and then Brendan Rice does the rest. He gets in, he, he gets one catch. He gets may have been his only target all day. Yeah. But he goes home with a touchdown. He goes home happy. You're not, uh, you know, one of your veteran guys in the locker room complaining on Monday or Tuesday because, man, why are they not throwing me the ball? Why are they getting all these freshman touches? 
Why don't you get the tug? You're okay. <laughs> Someone asked in the comments, and I think it's good to get to this now. So California on YouTube said, do you think Lincoln Riley treated this like a preseason game? And I know, Shotgun, you've already called it a scrimmage and rested some of the more proven offensive guys, i.e., uh, Rice, as we were just talking about, or do you think that you know it was just simply the the case of some of the guys that we expect to play a big part in the season just didn't factor into the offensive game plan, and it was you know one game that they'll shake off and play a bigger part down the stretch. I would say, yeah, I think the preseason game kind of comparison makes you don't really need to feed Brendan Rice the you know whatever nine targets or whatever it's, it's spread it around a little bit. Remember, <clears throat> Travis Dye didn't have a big role in the first game Good against point. Rice. Good point. He, he, we were like, is Travis Dye not the starting running back? What have we been lied to? And then, go, lo and behold, I think that was the only game he didn't have a 100-yard game. And then after that, he went kind of crazy until, obviously, the Colorado injury. So, yeah, I don't want to put too much stock into who didn't get many targets, who did get a lot of targets and all that, especially on offense. Because I think, yeah, they're just kind of looking at things. They want to see what it looks like. And, again, Travis Dye did not get a big – kind of role in that first game but lo and behold he was the 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 heart and soul of that running or that kind of that offense uh if you need a big play you went to travis Dye. so i'm not saying anything about you know brendan rice and his role in this team you know he could go out and go for 150 next week against nevada who knows so yeah i still think he's gonna have a big role i but i don't think it was a big uh uh, importance to like we got to feed our, our guys who were starters last year. I think it's a great point. And, uh, you know, Dorian Singer had four targets. I think he'll be he'll be a six, seven target a game type of and guy. Yeah, tug too. Um, yeah, and you get him in. Um, he'd been out for like four plays, and you're like, all right, we're third down. Now that's when you see, okay, third down. He was on the field. Um, you had Zachariah Branch on the field. So, and Mario Williams. Like, they had put those freshmen in there and played them for a couple snaps. They'd run the ball a couple times. And then it was third and six, and you're in the red zone. All right, starters back in there, <laughs> veteran guys. Let's go try to, you know, let's get in the end zone. And they did. Uh, nice read by Caleb Williams on his own coverage, finding Dorian Singer over the middle and putting it on the money. So, uh, a good hands catch by Dorian Singer there as well. But, yeah, I think that's very much the case. Preseason is a good way to put it. I haven't done I, I kind of just charted the offensive line to kind of check those rotations a little bit and check how those kind of played out. So I haven't done the, the skill players all the way, but you know, it felt like Dorian Singer played a lot early and then not so much after. Like, all right, we're going to get him in, we'll get him, get him some touches, and then you know, and then it kind of felt that way with some of the other veterans. Is like the only time that they were in there a lot is like, okay, if Brendan Rice is coming in on this drive in the third quarter, it's like they're going to try to get him the ball. Like we're gonna get him a touch. We want to make sure we get everybody yeah. kind of fed. Um, but then let's let's get do some time. Let's get J- Jacoby Lane. You know, let those guys kind of feel the speed of the game. And then hey, will Jacoby Lane be the guy that even whether he redshirts or not, I, I, or Makai Lemon or Deuce Robinson? Like those guys could still end up redshirting even though they play you know a significant yeah. amount of snaps in this game. You want them to get them in the flow and see how they kind of react to it too. I think. How do you react to the lights? How do you react to the fender? How do you work? Uh, react against you know a grown man on the other side of the ball. So it's good to see how they move, how they react, what they're like on the sidelines. So yeah, you're just getting more information for the coaching staff moving forward to make decisions on who plays, who's going to redshirt, and all those kind of things. Yeah, Taj Washington, two targets, third down play, and then the big ball. You know, so big ball. 
I think one of the other places where there was definitely emphasis of not going too far was the play calling. I mean, you didn't see Caleb Williams run the ball as much as we are used to, as we talked about earlier. And then also, you know, USC wants to keep the play calling vanilla. Like they want to put some things on tape that teams have to prep for later on, but they don't want to show the entire playbook so that when Utah rolls into the Coliseum, they've played or they've seen the plays that Lincoln Riley wants to go to in a big spot. So we saw it in the Rice game where USC's offense did not do anything very tricky. And in fact, you know, I, I feel like it kind of took until, you know, that Notre Dame game that we were talking about earlier until USC really started to get into, I think, the big bag of tricks for Lincoln Riley. And you weren't going to see them go out against San Jose State and pull an end around with, you know, R- Raleigh Brown and Zachariah Branch, Mario Williams, like any of those slot guys doing the tricky things I think Lincoln Riley wants to do with them. So they were keeping it pretty simple. They put up 56 points. There was definitely a pocket in there where it looked like the, the offense was struggling a tiny bit. And, you know, Caleb Williams just mentioned he was a little bit frustrated about you know the inconsistency whether it was a drop or the way that the offensive line was playing in front or just the communication between the offense but uh, the simple fact is they went up they put 56 points on the board while getting basically everyone into the game and keeping the play calling I think to a creative minimum for Lincoln Riley Um, so I think the offense played well and I don't know if you have any more thoughts on the offense the skill position players until we move on to the Uh, defense. On that point real quick just I, I think off the top of my head I think I remember motioning twice one of them wow. was the Dorian Singer touchdown, and Lincoln Riley is masterful with using, uh, you know, movement and stuff to dictate to the defense or force the defense into something. And that one was to, okay, we're going to see if they're in man coverage or if they're in zone. They put him out there. I know a lot of people were there were some this will blend over to defense, but people were like, why would Anthony Lucas ever go out and guard the running back? And part of the reason is if you then shift. Um, you know, if you just shift your defense out, one, you're telling you're telling whether it's zone or man, which, you know, Anthony Lucas being out there tells you that's a man coverage. And that's a – if I'm an opposing team, I would look at that matchup. If I have a running back, I think I can do. But the other thing is, do you want Anthony Lucas guarding a running back or if he's going to be in coverage on that play, whether he should be in coverage or not, skip that part. But if he is going to be in coverage, do you want him guarding that guy or the wide receiver who's now inside – um, because that's what USC did. They put Marshawn Lloyd on the far outside, and now Dorian Singer goes inside, and now he's you know up against the corner. I mean, the nickelback versus the outside cornerback, who you you know the outside cornerbacks are usually better in, in uh, coverage and whatnot. So uh, I think that's how you kind of dictate things. And Lincoln Riley didn't do a lot of those type things, but that was a third down play early in the game. We want to get on the board. It's red zone. Make sure you finish off plays. So it's like. We don't want to use anything, but if we have to, all right, this is kind of a basic one, but that's when we'll go to it. So, yeah, I think I saw twice that they did motion, if I can remember correctly. Season's not going to be won or lost against San Jose State. Save your bullets for Otson and South Bend and Utah and all those games. You don't don't need to show. There will be plenty of them. Huh? There will be plenty of those important games. Save those bullets, baby. We've talked about the offensive line, and maybe this is the last point on the offense. And Shaka, I know you already talked about how there were five different offensive line combinations, and you guys were at field level, you know, seeing who was coming in and coming out. I'm curious, when you guys were watching, whether it was the offensive line playing well or the offensive line struggling, what were some of the big takeaways you had of, you know, maybe who, who individually played well, maybe had some stuff to work on, and what did you see from some of the younger guys? Well, I think Justin Dietrich was the most solid of them, just because he's... Justin Dietrich, you know, he's been there, you know, you know, obviously he's playing center for the starting the season at center for the first time in his career, but you know, he's kind of still just kind of getting used to being that position. He, he said after the uh the Zachariah Branch uh uh 
kickoff return, he was like, I wanted some more reps. I wanted to get more reps in there because, you know, he hasn't played center in a really long time. So he was uh, a little bummed about this, but they'll take the touchdown. So I think he was obviously the most highest rated of those guys. I know PFF had him as the number one uh, lineman that was graded for, for USC staff. So I think he was obviously the most consistent of the group. Uh, but I know Shotgun has uh, watched the offensive line in a little more detailed than I have so far. Yeah, you know, we saw some flashes from different guys. I thought Alani Noah showed some flashes. He didn't play a ton, actually, um, you know, even though he was the starter. Uh, and, you know, no combination played more than three drives together, and one of those was a three and out. Uh, the, the one combination that played was the Pregnon and, uh, and Kingston and Tarquin together um, that went three and out on the second drive. They got three drives. No other combination got more than two. So, you know, and every combination averaged at least 5.7 yards per play because USC's offense was really good. Um, the Actually, the most consistent uh, off the uh, most consistent line combination was when Mason Murphy was in there at tackle along with uh, Gino Quinones and um, – and Jared Kingston, so with which was kind of the it was the second half, the start of the second half. They kind of flipped the lineup because early it had been uh, Noah and Quinones with the start, and then you brought in Kingston and Prenyon after after them. Um, but then in the second half, they started and they flipped it and kind of switched it up. So that was kind of interesting that they made that move at halftime instead of being like, all right, these are the guys we're going to stick with them, just kind of do the rotation. So that was interesting. They did that. They get that grouping. Went back to back drives. It was the only time they went back to back um, with with the same group, and they gained 127 yards on 15 plays, two touchdowns, averaged eight and a half yards um, or eight and a half yards per play, and that's without you know a 76 yard touchdown or anything. Yeah. So that was just moving the ball, um, and, and so I, I thought that was interesting. That might be the line kind of see going forward. I don't know, may, either Murphy or Tarquin, but I, I think Kingston and Quinones, maybe that's the, the pairing that you may see going forward uh, a little bit. Um, but I don't know. We'll see if they how much they like Noah. Uh, like I said, showed some flashes, had some nice pull blocks and stuff. I noticed uh, Jonah Monheim had a couple where they actually pulled him um, from the tackle spot, and he was able to come around and get some blocks. So that's, that's kind of the things I noticed on first watch, kind of a quick quick watch today uh, of the offense line. And you'll have more detailed breakdown of that in your participation notes, hopefully, um, hopefully this week. All right. I know that the, the fans are wanting to just talk about the defense, and I, you know, this is the the area of the How USC. Can we talk about it, uh, Jack. There was no defense played. Oh yes, you're right. <laughs> I, I, this is the part of the team that's talked about the most in the offseason of course the the piece that stung the most from the end of last season for Trojan fans with just how poorly they played down the stretch especially in the in the Pac-12 championship against Utah and then late in the bowl game against Tulane and obviously they brought in a ton of guys and I think the defense looked different yesterday as in they they looked more talented to me I thought they looked like the bodies physically had matured more uh, they, they were getting off the ball better I think they tackled better but the execution I still don't think was there so I don't know if you guys had that same takeaway I think they did look like a more talented defense but as Lincoln Riley said as basically all the players said there's still plenty for them to work on yeah I mean look I don't think unless um the defense held them to zero points and literally got a defensive touchdown every time San Jose took the field that no one was going to really be happy by uh, the results. But San Jose State, better team than Rice got last year, so I think they were going to give them a tougher time. 
I actually wonder what San Jose State would have done against last year's 2022 defense. That would have been interesting. See what that it'll be. A, it would be a great comparison. But we can't have that data. We can't have that look. So I think all things considered, with the with the amount of rotation you brought in, and you have to remember, a lot of those at the points at the end though were were garbage time. Uh, you should check out RJ Abadia's deep dive uh, about this game. You, looking at the defense, he puts it up. Uh, today and he basically talked about points per drive which is a metric that takes away garbage time and and things that uh, meaningless touchdown drive so when you take away that usc allowed 21 points on 10 drives for for san jose state and that equates to about a 2.1 uh, points per drive which is better than last year which is about 2.63 so that's an improvement uh, and that would put them in the kind of the top half, if you compare it to last year of defenses, as opposed to 111 where they were last year. So better from that metric standpoint. There were other things that didn't match up well compared to last year. I, I recommend you to look at that piece up on uscfootball.com. But I think that's an encouraging thing. Just that they they did drop that points per drive, and that's kind of an important metric for defenses. Obviously, keeping uh, opposing offenses off the board in in meaningful parts of the game. And you have to look at it like there were some mistakes that were made in that game. And if you clean those up, this looks a lot better. A Damani Jackson blown, uh, missed assignment, blown coverage, whatever you want to call it, at the, the end, of the end of the first half. We have to remember, Damani Jackson was making his first career start. I think that was lost in all of this. He is still a super young player. And this is his kind of first time really, really under the lights in a start. So, hey, that's a mistake. Whoa, Chris, he played 41 defensive snaps. 41? Oh, then take everything back. Last I just year. said. He's got 41 defensive career snaps. I actually knew you were going to have that stat up, and I was going to guess what it was. I was actually going to say 50, so I, I feel pretty good about my, my initial guess. But, yeah, made a mistake. Coach him up. Put it on tape. Hopefully get better. Demond Jackson comes up with that interception. They don't score that other touchdown. So there are a little bit of things that you can clean up that you can uh, fix the third and 2022, a third and 2022. What does that mean? Yeah. Third and 22, you know, that one, a lot of people are looking at Mason Cobb on that one. He goes a little left. If he goes right, uh, quarterback probably doesn't pick up that uh, 28 yards on that carry and they don't score on that drive. So, and Mason Cobb did have sort of a reputation for being a little bit out of place at times at, at, at Oklahoma State. So, again, that's something that's going to be, has to be coached up and fixed in film. So, you know, just little things, if they don't, they do something a little bit different, you're, you're not getting, maybe you're taking two touchdowns off the board of this result. So I think there were some good things, but also, yeah, it wasn't perfect. But again, a preseason game, you're, you're using a lot of bodies. I, I don't think it's enough to throw the whole season away just yet. You can always play the what-if game. I love playing the what-if game. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a good enough performance. Let's, let's say that. Let's start with that. It wasn't a good enough performance. But we do still, you know, from seeing the bits we've seen, from seeing the talent these guys have, from seeing the tape that we've seen in the past, the highlights, seeing those guys in action, seeing Jamil Muhammad come off the edge, dip his shoulder, get underneath uh, offensive tackles. Like a bat out of hell. Um, seeing Anthony Lucas's length, seeing him run down a running back uh, from the backside. Those things, those glimpses there, let you at least, at least for me, I believe, all right, they can clean up rush lanes. I think Sean Nua is a good enough defensive line coach to get those type of things cleaned up. 
but seeing the power, seeing the explosiveness of Barry Alexander, you know, those type of things they didn't have last year. So that's why we're we're not willing to say throw it all away, immediately fire somebody, and then try to implement some new defense. Like I don't think that's the correct move to make. Again, I said at the very beginning of the show, if in week three you still see a lot of these same issues, then I'm definitely very concerned. But I, I you know, on the way back from the game, Ryan was listening to some podcasts on some national guys, and they were just talking about how this team is a atro- their defense is atrocious. And I don't think you can make that statement based off of one game that they're mixing and matching so much, and there's so many new guys that are playing along so so many other new guys. Um, and, and so if they were playing, you know, if it was 2024 and they're playing LSU, you wouldn't have seen as much mixing and matching. You would have seen a solidified rotation. You would have seen those things. And then if they played the same way, I w- would feel more confident in being very demeaning of everything that happened. But I'm willing to look at it and say the way that they can use this and get better, if they are getting better in the next two weeks, then I'm, I'm not going to jump to, you know, this is the mo- the worst defense ever type of statements coming off of one week. As Gerard always says with recruiting, it's never as good as you think it is. It's never as bad as you think it is. Yep. So I think it's a, just you pump the brakes a little bit. You try to look at, okay, you still won by 28 points. You are concerned about things. That There's nothing wrong with being concerned, guys. But is it time to make wholesale changes type of action? I don't think it's that time yet. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are being very reasonable in the chat. (laughs) I mean, Ron wanted to know, was the defense good last night? And to that, I don't think you would say, yes, it was good. No. But you look at it in the – you don't look at it in a vacuum. You look at it in the the perspective of what it is. First game of the season, a lot of new faces. Can they get better? Was there more talent on the field? Yes. Yes. So then, okay, can do you have confidence they can coach them up? Now, some of you do not have that confidence. I understand that. And that's where a lot of, a lot of the issue is, I think, with, with fans. They don't have the confidence that they will get better. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, think this team with the talent that's on the roster, with the depth that's on the roster, will get better as the season progresses. And it, Lincoln Riley seems to have that same opinion as well. I think he's earned the right to... Let them see if they can get to that that ceiling. Let them see if they can get to that that point where it's good enough where you can make a run of the college football playoff. He's a top five coach in college football. <laughs> I feel He's like we, that. we talk about it every time that we talk about the defense. And Lincoln Riley has mentioned the ceiling. USC only needs the ceiling to be an average, solid defense. Like You just need your defense to not allow more points than a Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley-led offense can score. And they put up eight touchdowns yesterday on San Jose State. Of course, they allow 28 points. And I, I think I agree with fans. You know, you, you'd want to see them allow less points to San Jose State. But circumstantially, I, I didn't think it was the worst defensive game. I also didn't think you know it was the greatest. But as Shotgun's talking about, you can't look at it in a vacuum. They've got an entire season to figure this out. And the good news about the schedule, which we've talked about before, really hard on the back end, but it's not too difficult in the first six games, which is when you're going to be wanting to do most of the work anyway. You don't want to get to week nine and have to be working on the little things or even the big things. And they got a chance to do that here through the first six plus weeks since they do have an early season bye. And I think the, the part that Shotgun brings up is there was more talent on the field. And, you know, Sean Nua can coach rush lanes. I'm not sure he can he can teach the type of off the ball movement and, and pursuit into the backfield that Bear Alexander has. I don't think he can teach the bend off the edge that Jamil Muhammad has. So those were the 
things that stuck out. Now, was it perfect? No. And I think you talked to some of the defenders yesterday, and they, while they might have thought that the, the talent was there and the, their individual performances were pretty good, they agree. You know, Jamil Muhammad said the rush lanes weren't great. Mason Cobb said the communication on defense and you know being able to trust everyone wasn't in the place that they needed it to be, but. It was in the, a good enough place for week one, and now I think you, you see that they've got some things to work on, and they're going to try and be the perfect defense and their best defense by the last game of the season. They were not trying to be that for the first game of the year, especially with how many people they were rotating in. Hey, guys, how many points should the national champion, whoever it is, should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Beat a Mac team that goes sub 500. How much did they beat them by? No, how much should they? Like a national championship team. National championship team, whether it's Ohio State, Georgia, Florida in the heyday, national championship team, how much should they be a middle-of-the-tier MAC team that goes below five, finishes the season below 500? I would say at least 35 points. 30, I was going to say 35 to 40. Yeah, okay. Georgia beat Kent State last year 39-22. They won by 17. I, games happen like that. Do you grow from it? It was at the beginning of the season. Georgia's defense gave up 22 points to Kent State. You believe that? I don't think they gave 22 points to anybody until Ohio State again. Maybe they probably did, but you know, like you don't throw away and say, "Well, you got to fire the defense coordinator at Georgia." Georgia's defense is coming off a national championship. They can't be giving up 22 points to Kent State. Who did they play Week One? They played Tian Oregon. Martin. Oh, oh, I know my other. Oh, this year. <laughs> last year they played Oregon. Oh, I meant this year and destroyed them. I'm excited to see. Well, that'd be a good uh, litmus test. See who they play. Uh, week one and see how many points they, they play. Get. UT they, Martin, TN Martin, <laughs> UTT Martin, University of T Martin. <laughs> Let's keep an eye on that game. See how many points T Martin. Five days. It's in five days, nineteen hours, and nine minutes and thirty seconds. In case you're wondering, it's a half of a well, less time now. <laughs> I, I think we need to shout out some individual performers, and, and I know a lot of people are asking about the linebacker position, which which we can get there. I thought the defensive line, you saw different flash plays from the guys that you brought in. There was one play where Bear Alexander met the running back in the hole, and and just, you know, it, it was a chance where he got juked to the right, and there was just no one else there. But you didn't have many people for USC up the middle last year just throw the center to the left and say, I, I don't want you here anymore, so I'm going to go up the middle instead. You had Jamil Muhammad. I thought he had some real nice pursuit, just missed out on a sack with the quarterback getting the ball out at the last second. Solomon Bird played really well. Um, Anthony Lucas had a tackle for loss. It was really close between right at the line of scrimmage and a tackle for loss on the first play of the game. It was very high effort when he was out there as well. There's tons of guys to talk about, but I think with with the amount of rotation, and we saw this on the offensive line as well, you need to build trust. And I asked Justin Dietrich about it, talked about it on Instant yesterday. He, he didn't it didn't like say it was hard to trust when you're rotating so many guys because they've been doing it in practice. But as Shotgun was mentioning earlier, when you have a different set of defensive linemen or offensive linemen for the entire drive or for, for every every different drive, it's hard to be consistent, which is what USC is looking for. And when it comes to stuff like 
containing or you know staying in your rush lanes. It's about trust and the instincts and playing half a season or an entire season with a guy so your minds have melded and you know where he's going to go. UFC didn't have that yesterday, but they did have the instincts off the ball, uh, and I think the talent to get around offensive lines. Uh, and there's a lot of questions about the linebackers, which maybe we can get to that now, because people are asking about missed tackles. They're asking about Mason Cobb and you know his pursuit. I know we already mentioned that they only had six missed tackles, which is a promising stat, I would say, for USC. What was your guys' breakdown of the linebacker room? Well, I think the first thing is Tackett Curtis. That's kind of the first thing to my mind. You know, obviously a lot of hype. And only finished with two tackles and played and looked like a true freshman, which, you know, isn't the end of the world. You know, he was out there, and I think he obviously earned that right, getting a lot of the first-team reps with uh, Mason Cobb in practice, Eric Gentry banged up in the middle of camp and bringing him along slowly. And as I mentioned, you don't need Eric Gentry to start this game. You don't need him to play however many snaps Tackett play. You, you don't need... And you saw the difference with Gentry in the middle, and I tweeted it out. Defense just looks like it has more juice when he's in there. And Shotgun did a great breakdown of what it means to have Eric Gentry in there. So you don't need Eric Gentry to be a starter until you know it starts getting to the, the heyday. I think he's still not 100%. Looked like he rolled his ankle a little bit. I saw him come out really late with the... Uh, the, at, at, at a lot out of the locker room at halftime, all the linebackers were already warming up, and he was kind of late. He came out with the trainer, looked like he was still just kind of getting evaluated. So, I think they're just kind of playing it safe with him. You know, you need him for the back end of, of this of the schedule. So, you know, attack it. He'll get better, but again, it wasn't a an amazing Captain America like debut. But you know, again, true freshman learning a. You have to remember, he didn't play a true linebacker spot in high school. He was more like a bat out of hell safety coming down. So he's still kind of learning to play college linebacker and learning all that. So give the freshmen some time. I think the linebackers will grow. You know, Mason Cobb, good, great, great player, will get more comfortable with his new teammates and his new, new, new defense. Got to learn to trust everybody. So I, it's still a work in progress. And again, not ready to declare them 100% better than last year, but they're showing signs of being an improved unit. All right, should I be positive or negative first? Which one should we go with? Uh, let's go negative. All right, these are the guys that didn't do enough, in my opinion. I didn't like. I thought Mason Cobb was not as fast as I thought he would be. He didn't take great angles against the San Jose State quarterback who broke his angles a couple times. Like, you, that just got to be better. Um, he needs to be more of a playmaker for USC. He needs to be a guy that – he showed the flashes, the tackle for loss in the backfield um, on their first drive. Um, so, and again, take all this with – it's one game. I'm not uh, flipping out about it. I didn't think Tackett Curtis did much of anything in the game. Keon Bars, I was very dis kind of disappointed that he didn't do a little bit more in. He didn't play a ton either. Um, so those are some of the guys that stood out that – you know, I think need to be better for USC if they want their defense to to show what it can do. Uh, Barry Alexander, I thought, had, got in the backfield, did some nice things. Anthony Lucas, I mentioned some of those guys already. A guy that I thought, uh, I already said Eric Gentry. And let me, I, I, I figured it up. Um, he, on, before the final play of the game, you know, they were playing in Hail Mary defense, basically, and the guy ran it for 36 yards. But before that play, he was on the field for 21 snaps outside of a spike, and the defense gave up 87 yards. 
That includes four three and outs and one six-play drive that went 20 yards. So the only other one was a touchdown. He was on the on the field for six drives, and four of them were three and outs. He is he was the difference maker yesterday for that defense, and I think that's why he's so important to them because he does some things. I thought Max Williams played pretty good. Um, Jalen Smith led the team in tackles, but the safeties could be better. Kalen Bullock missed a tackle or two. He needs to be better. If you he, he's an All American, he needs to be making big time plays for them. Play like an All American. Yeah, if you're going to be a dude, be a dude. Um, so there, a lot of those things, as far as individuals, I thought could be better. Um, but it comes down to the technique and stuff. That's the part that – that's what I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with, whether, whether or not Keon Bars is playing great in week three, is whether they're keeping in the rush lanes as a unit. Those are the things that we need to see improvement on the next couple of weeks. Like I said, in, in two weeks, if you see the same mistakes – uh, yes, that's when I'm willing to go start talking about coordinators, what needs to change, wholesale change, that type stuff. Not week one, so calm down. Now you guys want to call in, go for it, and you guys can speak your mind on that and give us some questions. But that's my opinion on the defense. There were some positives. There was definitely some negatives. There were some guys that I want to see more from. You know, some of those new guys. I want to see more from Mason Cop. I want to see him take better angles. I want to see a little bit better speed sideline to sideline from, you know, based on what I'd seen off tape and stuff. Um, because I think he can be a, such a difference maker for him with his instincts coming downhill, uh, especially when he's blitzing. I thought he was really good in the blitzing role. Uh, Eric Gentry was, was as well. And I do want to shout out Rayshon Davis. I think he was in for two drives, and both those drives were three and outs with Eric Gentry in there as well. But he's a guy that, again, this feels a little bit like the Elijah Vera Tucker situation to me. It's like, you know, we saw, granted, we don't get to see practice as much, uh, you know, anymore, but we would see Elijah Vera Tucker in practice and be like, this guy should be playing a little bit. Like, they should give him some opportunities. And I feel like that with Rajon Davis. We've seen when he gets in games, the la now the last two years, when he gets an opportunity, he, he makes some plays. Now I have to go back and rewatch a little bit closer. This is all a quick watch to see, okay, was he doing his assignment or not? I know he was, you know, uh, helping pressure on one play with Jamil Muhammad. You know, they've got to be – another thing they really need to do better is when they are spying, you can't let the quarterback get outside and take off. And that was something that Lincoln Riley said, hey, we tried to spy a couple times and our guys got lost in the traffic in the middle, um, and that's that can't happen. You know, you can't be too aggressive as a linebacker when you're a spy um, and then – Therefore, let the quarterback get out. So you got to keep him in, inside the pocket, inside that containment, so that everyone else can kind of rally around him. Like Elijah Tucker, we felt like we were taking crazy pills <laughs> watching him. It's like, why isn't this guy starting? Mauler. And he proved to be that. All right. I think we've kind of exhausted as much talk that we can have about our own original ideas. So let's get to callers and questions. We've got one caller in the queue. So while we talk to the caller, make sure you guys are leaving your questions on YouTube and we will get to those after this caller. But we'll start it off with Dave from Hollywood. All right. Hey, Dave, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Dave from Iowa. Long time listener, long time caller. Great to be back. Um, my observations from the game, you know, impressed with Anthony Lucas's stats. Three total tackles, two tackles for loss. I did notice, though, that he did slip a couple times coming off the edge. So I was just curious, like, you know, was that just, like, bad step angle? Like, something wrong with the grass? Or, like, did they end up changing his cleats or whatever? That came to mind. And then you guys talked about the negatives a bit. Biggest negative for me, DBs. Um, and he, here's kind of a hot take. Dante Williams, he is the, he is the recruiter. 
but can he develop? Because I'm pretty sure of the eight penalties, four of them, maybe five, were by DBs. And uh, this is an even bigger hot take. Yesterday, Damani Jackson reminded me of Chris Steele, which, unfortunately, we all know what happened with that. Um, but, you know, again, you know, good, good overall, you know, performance from what you expect in terms of mixing and matching. But, hey, those were just my thoughts right there. What do you guys think? We'll have to ask Anthony Lucas about the slippage. Like, hey, what's going on with the slippage? You know, if you're a, you're a guy coming off the edge and you're slipping too much, that means you, you need to work on some balance drills, to be honest. Like, uh, you know, and it's partly because you're trying to bend to get around that corner, um, but but you got to figure out a way to stay up because you can't take yourself completely out of, out of play when you slip because then the offensive lineman is like, ooh, free candy, and he just lays on top of you. So that's bad. <laughs> I've heard offensive linemen say that before. Free candy. Just the way you said, <laughs> free candy. You know offensive linemen love candy. Um, but, yeah, so that's something you need to, need to correct. Um, because you're, and one of those things is, like, you're trying to, again, you're trying to bend, you're trying to stay low, you're trying to do all those things. But if you are going down, you got to make a correction. So, all right, another thing that needs to be added to the list of let's see some adjustments, let's make some corrections type of thing. It was not the grass, it was not the turf. I was out on the field before, you know, like three or four hours before the game. It just was so soft and supple. I was like, this field feels amazing. I'm picturing you laying on the grass. I was, I was like thinking about doing some, some grass angels out there, but I didn't want to get, get in trouble or anything. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something that needs to be correct. Uh, the DBs, what's your, what's your opinion on the DBs, Chris? Well, Dante Williams is known, obviously, as an elite recruiter, but he's also been known to be a good developer of talent when he was at Oregon. And, yeah, it's been sort of hit and miss with in his tenure at USC but remember he developed Makai Blackman into a draft pick that that's a huge thing he could point to on the recruiting show Sia Wright top 100 prospect came on strong as a uh, a starter last season kind of came out of nowhere and obviously a talented guy and won a starting starting job once again I think he is you know put him in a column of like hey Dante Williams developing the talent that he brings in yeah, it's not as many as you would hope it would be, but I still think Dante Williams has been shown to be a guy who can develop a cornerback and a defensive back into a pretty good player. And case in point, with Makai Blackman, a guy who was going to be undrafted, came to USC, ended up being a third-round pick. And I think the holdings to him more on the safeties. I think technically Alex Grinch coaches the safeties. Um, More reason for them to love Alex Grinch. True. Uh, the, uh, watching it back, didn't really see much on those. Yeah. Surprising with as much holding as far as on the offensive defensive line was being allowed. That, you know, and again, that's a different referee, the back judge versus, you know, the, the head referee or whatever. So, but I was, you know, when I rewatched it, I was like, that's really not much there. It was kind of a grab as someone's going by. He didn't really, like, turn the shoulders either time. That's usually what it is. Like, hey, do you physically turn the body of the receiver? Otherwise, you kind of get away with it. And, you know, uh, yeah, you just got to make corrections as it goes. And so I don't think the DB played great. I don't think they played terrible either. Uh, besides the broken down play, that, that has to be fixed. That's the biggest mistake of the night. Not anything else that happened. I mean, Damani getting a P.I. late. It's kind of questionable as well. Yeah, that a little bit look, handsy. That didn't look. But, yeah. You know, the, the touchdown is the one um, that's, you know, I don't know exactly what the coverage was. Um, you know, I'm, we're going to try to reach out to a former player just to see 
they can help break it down for me. It's a little bit different type of you know dropping the it's like cover two with the cornerback rotating back and the safety, so kind of a cover two robber. But I don't know exactly. Maybe someone else will identify it a little bit better for me. But you just can't go inside with the guy. You know, you, you got to be able to stay outside with that if that's your responsibility. So I, we'll see exactly what that is. But that's that's the mistake that has to be. You can't give up the wide open touchdown. The fact that the guy made a great catch on uh, over Sierra Wright, you kind of just tip your cap on that one. You know, it's a really nice play. Sierra Wright was there. He had his hands, you know, right there on the guy. Um, I think he got called for a penalty on the play on the play too. Which again, I was right in front of that play, and I was watching the matchup and didn't really see the penalty. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit ticky tacky on there. So, but that happens, and you make adjustments as the game goes along. Now, did they make enough adjustments? No. That so those again, another thing that needs to be cleaned up. Don't always trust a ref's flags being golden. Uh, was it Makai Blackman last year that said like, well, when you have such good coverage on a guy, sometimes the ref sees it as a penalty. <laughs> I, I want to say, I mean, because he got, that's, I think. That's a very cornerback comment. Yeah, but er, I mean, early on in the year, Makai Blackman had a couple flags there. I think it was the Stanford game yeah. where he had a couple, and, and the, the overreaction from fans was he's super grabby. He turned out to be locked down for USC, and of yeah, course. If, like, if he wouldn't have had the interception in that game, <laughs> fans would have been like, Makai Blackman's terrible. Why are they starting him over Damani Jackson? And now people are like, why is Damani Jackson starting? Like, well, and if, if, if the ball doesn't just weirdly clank off Damani Jackson's hands yesterday, all the SC fans are in here saying, oh, Damani Jackson, a pick in his, a pick in his first start. Yeah, it, it it's, it's just the way that the ball falls sometimes. Sometimes it's the way that the flag falls. I think <laughs> I, I didn't see the Kalen Bullock one in the, in the red zone. Of course, that's when they're all like really compact, so it's hard to see. Probably just someone running by, and he managed to get a hand on him. He but was- I remember watching the Max Williams holding call over the middle of the field and the Damani Jackson pass interference late in the game. I, I didn't think either of those needed a flag to be thrown. So then you're looking at, you know, if, if those two aren't thrown, you've got two flags on, on the defense, on the, on the secondary, you know, one for Bullock in the red zone where sometimes those are good penalties to make because if you don't, their guy's going to score. And then there's a holding where there was the touchdown catch anyway. So, you know, sometimes just, uh, you know, the, the different ref's decisions mean you have a different outlook on the secondary. Sometimes the ball falls a different way. If Nick Nash doesn't catch that with one hand bouncing back into his body over Sierra right, does San Jose State score on that drive? It's just like some of those things you do tip the cap to. Yeah, clean it up. Still clean it up regardless. And refs, you need to clean it up too. I don't, the attack ones, whatever. They can go either way, I guess. But clean up the onside kick. Come oh on. Oh, my goodness. I, I was in here watching it. I told Jack it took 14 and a half minutes between when San Jose State scored and when they ran their first offensive play. Who was right? It should have, in my opinion, it should have been an illegal blocking because Austin Jones was not allowed to get to the ball uh, um, before it crossed 10 yards. So that was my opinion. That was what Lincoln Riley on the sideline was very adamant about. And Lincoln Riley was not happy, uh, even though they were up so much or whatever. Not happy about it. He wasn't uh, changing pleasantries. Uh, <laughs> I'll say that much. And I can even tell from the far side, I feel like, ooh, Lincoln Riley's, Lincoln Riley's not happy. Well, the interesting thing to me, too, was that, you know, the ball needs to get 10 yards. And every review, it's like, okay, is it an inch on this side or an inch on that side? And the ball ended up being moved two full yards after the review. It's like, oh. that, that's not possible, <laughs> judging by the I think there was replay. also like a fumble after it. USC's players were just like, what's going on? I, think they got, I don't know. It was a weird play. It would have been much different if it was, you know, USC at Notre Dame and Brian Kelly was seven yards on the field during the middle of the onside kick. You know, I think fans would have felt much different about it rather than to be in a 56-28. Is that why you posted that terrible turtle photo of him? 
Just as payback. That was Chip Kelly. Oh. Who did you say? Brian Kelly. Oh, okay. In the middle of an onside kick. He's just halfway on the field. That, that that was a little bit too long of a review. But, Link, I mean, Lincoln Riley was just not letting it die either. If, if, <laughs> if he just accepted the first review for what it was and then didn't challenge a second thing, it wouldn't have gone on as long. So I don't blame the referees completely on that one. I do question how they ended up moving the ball so far. Hey, it could have been like the Arizona game. So That was – yeah, that was – I, looking back on it now from last season, that was one of the, the worst uh, officiating moments I think I've ever seen in football. Oh, uh, well, we've got one more caller in. Uh, the only thing that I can see in the byline of the explanation for the call oh, no. has Alex Grinch in it. So oh, no. uh, we've got a new caller coming in. Don't know the name, but hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. What's up, guys? How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Hey, glad to talk to you guys. So, hey. I've, I've listened to all the podcasts, all the pundits since last night, and man, I'm, I'm trying to be positive, but I really don't see it. Like, um, I just honestly think it's it's, it's just Grinch. It, it it is what it is. I don't I don't I don't see the scheme manifesting itself even with the players. I do. There were there were a couple of drives where Anthony Lucas is out there lined up against the guy that's five five. Why is he that? Why does he not have his hand on the ground against the ball? And that's like, man, I honestly see Lane Kiffin 5.0. I see Lincoln is willing to die by the defense that his best friend has the same way that Lane was willing to die by Monkey Tampa too. And I just, I don't see it. I think, honestly, truth be told, we were on, on, on display yesterday for America to see how they're going to beat us. And I really think it's going to be a long season. I really do. Like, I think it's going to be a long season. And me personally, I'm never advocating for anyone to lose their job. But me being the new, the new ADD, the new AD, I think Jen should have had that conversation this morning to figure out what direction, put, put, put the scheme on the board and make it make sense because there were things that were being done last night that I don't see it manifesting into a championship defense over 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 the long term of the season. But that's just me. Hey, what do I know? Fight on. Hey, DMV. Hey, hey, hey. Fight on, guys. <laughs> so hey. Does that mean he's from the DMV? It sounds like it. Shout out to DMV. <clears throat> There wasn't really a question in there, but... Okay, I mean, look, I understand the frustration, and it's, it's warranted from last season. However, I'm saying don't throw away the baby just because it's crying right now. Let's let it grow up a little bit and see if it's still going to be a hellion. Maybe we can throw it away. Are you allowed to throw babies away, Chris? I don't know. I don't know the, the rules on babies, but, but you know, you, the, the, you, after one game, I don't think you want to make any wholesale changes. Um, again, there's a lot of adjustments that happen. There's a lot of growth with 18 to 22 year olds. And it's also, as far as schematics themselves, how much are you wanting to put on tape? Maybe, you're, again, like Lincoln did it on the other side, maybe you're putting some extra stuff on there that, you know, that another offense has to prepare for. You know, so I, I think some of those things go into a first game. Um, but. I understand the frustration. I know why people are upset, but I'm just saying I think that you should let Bear Alexander, Anthony Lucas, and those guys let them grow a little bit. Let's not forget those guys are true sophomores. Yeah. Or Anthony Lucas, I think, is technically a second-year freshman. So you know he does he doesn't have a ton of snaps. I think he has like 130 snaps in his career. Demonte Jackson, like we said, 41 career snaps coming in. Bear Alexander. No, actually, he, I think, he had a one less than 150, and Anthony Lucas had less than 100. So, like, these are young guys. They're going to get better. I mean, if you want an example, look at Makai Blackman. 
Look at the, the trajectory of his career. Guys that are going to work hard will get better. And I think those guys have shown that they are working hard from the comments that we've heard from the coaches, from their the other players and stuff. So give them a chance to get better. Now, if you, you see guys that are wide open going forward, and again, like I said, in two weeks, if you're seeing the same issues, that's on coaching to me. You know, either you, you coach it up, stay in your rush lane, do this, do this, take it to this different angle, or you put somebody else in there. And this year you can actually do that. So there's no excuses of last year. I felt like there was the true excuse of they just didn't have the talented depth. So if someone got hurt or someone was making mistakes, they didn't have necessarily the person they could turn to. They felt like, all right, well, we got to turn to somebody else and this guy can get it done. Now you do. So there's no excuses going forward. So that's why I think one game, you know, take a step back from it. Remember, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Week three, if you're seeing the same things, all right, let's uh, break out the pitchforks. They have a four-year starter at Arizona coming off the bench for them in Christian Merlin Wallace. Who was the highest-graded player on defense according to PFF yesterday. Let's also remember, I always say this, but that's PFF's initial grading. They will regrade, so we'll see if it's the same there. But he was really good. (laughs) He was really good. And you saw when you put a four-year starter in there, (laughs) hey, he makes plays suddenly. You have... Jack Sullivan, who didn't grade well, but still a guy who played in a Big Ten season and I think started a couple times. Shocking, we'll correct me on that. Coming off the bench for them, for the defensive line. There is more talent. There is more depth. And they finally have some game tape where they can play against the opponent and go and coach off that instead of just you know practice film, which you know is still valuable, but it's still practice. You actually get to go and coach off game tape and like, hey, this is what we did crappy this is what we did okay with this is what we did great it let's fix all these things uh, i realized before we get to the to the rest of the questions there are two people that we have not talked about at all and that's caleb williams and chevin cordero the quarterbacks in the game um i don't know if you guys want to go a little tiny 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 bit caleb williams a four touchdown performance as advertised as we mentioned he felt a little frustrated about the consistency of the play but you saw it once again, bobbled a snap, threw a 76-yard touchdown. I ended up looking back at the play. He was on his back foot, no leg drive, and got it 46 yards in the air to Tosh Washington. And Chevin Cordero, Lincoln Riley talked about it after the game. Like He, he was poking fun at the media for not asking him enough about San Jose State because Cordero's a sixth-year Mountain West player, transferred from Hawaii. I thought he was impressive yesterday. Saw the reason he was the Mountain West preseason offensive player of the year. But those two quarterbacks, they, they did battle a little bit. And uh, you know, as Chris mentioned, USC had no tape on San Jose State, and they're going against a veteran quarterback. Um, but I, I felt like we needed to bring up the two quarterbacks that played in the game. Yeah, that was the longest touchdown of Caleb Williams' career as a throwing, and it was a, a great one, I'm sure. There was a bunch of scouts watching this, doing that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Wolf of Wall Street. Where he's, I bet they were doing that when they saw that play. Just like like you said, like off the back foot, not even driving the ball. And just, it was money. So, yeah, I, he is... Obviously, a Heisman winner. He's as advertised for touchdowns. Uh, Do you not know how to bobble a bobblehead? It's not a very bobbly. You have hat. to Look, hit the brim. Yeah, but it's not like you know when you bobble and you, you were can, like petting like, the back it of its head. <laughs> it's like where it settled down. Shevin Cadero on the other side, um, six-year guy, knew when it threw the ball away, uh, knew. You know where the pressure was coming from. Did a really good job of identifying. Okay, Barely's Zender's coming up here. There's room to go that way when Stanley Tafu's in the game at the same time because they're not getting the same amount of pressure um, at the same depth. And that was one of the the runs that he picked up some yards for. So you know, I, I think that if USC was facing 
a less experienced quarterback, then the defense makes some more plays. But I think that's great preparation because they're going to face some really good quarterbacks yeah. this season. Um, Sam Hartman at Notre Dame had a really big game yesterday. They'll face him. He's actually. I saw the tweet yesterday. At the, uh, maybe some of you guys saw it as well. He's Notre Dame starter is three years older than the Indianapolis Colts starter. So uh, Anthony Richardson. So you know they've got an experienced guy there. Bo Nix experienced. Michael Penix. So dynamic quarterbacks they're going to face. Yeah. So this was great preparation in a gimme game. You know, a bye game as they call them. Um, you know, it, it, that kind of goes back to you know we've talked about letting them grow from this. If you were to watch the men's basketball team, their their exhibitions they played in Europe, and it was the first game of the season, you'd be like, oh, my God, this. But the coaches, it's like, all right, we got things. We showed some glimpses. We know what we can become. And we got tons of stuff we can teach off of. And I think that's the way the coaching staff is going to look at this. They're going to be upset with the lack of consistency and some issues that they had. But they're going to think, all right, we know what we can identify, we can uh, attack, and let's go do it now. So now – you got to actually, you know, this is where you go make your money as a coach. Not not fully in the offseason. That's about getting players to buy in. That's about motivation. In the season, it's about making adjustments. Go make your money now, whether it's being the coaching adjustments, technique adjustments, all those type things, and you got to go do it now. And, uh, and real quick on Jack Sullivan, sorry, Jack. Um, he was a full-time starter last year, and it was at least a part-time starter the last three years. All right, let's get to some questions. There, there aren't many that we haven't already answered just through our general discussion of the game, but we can get to some rapid-fire ones. The first one is, whose fault was the touchdown before the half, Max Williams or Damani Jackson? I would say Damani Jackson, just the way the other defenders, because I was down in that corner shooting photos, the other defenders looked at him after the play. And again, like I said, I'm going to try to reach out to some former players to see you know, their opinion on it as well. Yeah, Max looks like he thought he had help over the top, so... I would say he thought Damani was going to be covering for him. All right, Jerry asks on YouTube, who needs to improve more, the defensive line or the linebackers? Linebackers. Linebackers. Brian asks, did the freshman offensive lineman Elijah Page play? He yes. did play. He played on in the fourth quarter. A lot of guys got in the fourth quarter, so uh, it was good to see a bunch of those guys get their opportunity. But Elijah Page was the only other freshman besides Alani Noah to get in. So Michael Benuelos did not play. Tobias Raymond did not play. They were both dressed. Amos uh, Telele was not dressed in this game. And he's been hurt. So now that you see him out, we can say he's been hurt. He was bagged up in this final game week. So he's, I don't know what his injury is, but he's been uh, not practicing. Craig asks, is San Jose State the best team in the Bay Area this season? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about this one. You're you're from up there. So I am. You, I'm from you, San Jose. You have uh, to answer first. <laughs> I, I know someone that works in the the football department at Cal, and I think he'd skewer me if I said that San Jose State <laughs> is a better football team than Cal. I think that San Jose State probably could and would beat Stanford, and I think it would be a closer matchup than many think between Cal, just because you've got an experienced quarterback. I'm not sure what to expect from Cal this year. Um, it, they definitely could be. I, I would not be surprised if they would go and there they had to be a round robin three team kind of pool play thing if San Jose State would end up 2-0? Uh, I would take them just because they have the best quarterback. Um, and I will give their offensive line credit and also say I was disappointed in USC's pass rush. Now give Cordero credit for throwing the ball away a few times. But after coming off a season where they had, I think it was 42 stacks they gave up, USC only got one. 
Um, so against the line that gave up 42 last yeah, year. That's what I'm saying. So and seven in the opener last year. So that's disappointing for USC's pass rush. Though I I wasn't disappointed with the pass rush itself. I'm disappointed based off the stats there. I thought the pass rush was pretty good and. There, if you stay in your rush lanes, that is disappointing that you didn't stay in your rush lanes because that's where some of those sacks would have come from, I think. Um, and so I think San Jose State would be the team. If Troy Taylor, is that the correct name yep. at Stanford, if Troy Taylor is still at Sacramento State, I might take them. That's an interesting one. I'm not sure. Do you consider Sacramento the base? That's a different question. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, San Jose was good. I think the pressure that USC got if they were in the right rush lanes, like the pressure looked like it could have been a four or five sack day. They just weren't able to bring him down or like they were always just like one step behind his shoelaces, you know, on a dive or chasing behind him. Uh, but we've got some more questions. Ron asked, what was the attendance in the Coliseum? He thought it looked pretty full. Was it 65? No, 63,411, I believe. Look at you, Jack. <laughs> he's he's big attendance guy. He, he knows the number all the time. I thought it was pretty packed. It wasn't like, Fully packed, but I thought there was a good good amount of crowd, considering it was pretty hot uh, throughout most of the day. It was fine. It wasn't special. This guy was out, you know, as always. No, I'm not talking about the heat. I'm talking oh. about the crowd. Oh, it was I fine, about the heat. but it wasn't special. You have a Heisman Trophy winner. you got national championship aspirations. More people should show up, in my opinion. I, I think 63,000 was maybe a little bit inflated, but it certainly was at that 55 well, or higher Every level. number is always inflated. <laughs> uh, Jerry asks, Including heights. what or who on defense can we expect to see improvement from first game to second game? I think it's hard to like say what we what they we're going to see improvement on, oh, but the things that. that they can work on or they will be working on, I think, are probably a little bit easier to guess. I think Mason Cobb will be better next week. And I think Taggart Curtis as well. You know, I don't know yeah. how much he'll play going forward because – Obviously, Eric Gentry is the guy that should be starting. Uh, so if he's healthy, but getting those reps, getting that tape, all right, now can you learn from it? I think he should be better next week. Same thing with Demonte Jackson. All those young guys that are don't have a ton of experience, Anthony Lucas, and all those guys, I think will be better the second week or after the first week, just because you know you see your mistakes. Can you clean them up? You took everyone. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You took everyone. I'll say Keon Bars because uh, Shadi here was disappointed. So. Let's see him uh, bounce back. All right. Uh, Brian asks, did Shelby or Foreman get any run? Yes. Shelby, uh, Foreman only played two snaps. He came in with Kobe Pepe and Sinjin Astani. That tells you where his placement is right now. Braylon Shelby got a little bit more run. Um, he got some in the fourth quarter when they were kind of – they had a weird kind of mixed starter versus end reserve on the touchdown drive they gave up. Like, Kalen Bullock was in there uh, beside Zion Branch, I believe it was. So, like, it was kind of a – weird amalgamation of, of you know guys that are playing a ton and the guys that hadn't got in yet and Brendan Shelby was one of the guys that was getting in there but he was also on a package that they had like at the goal line he was in on the Kalen Bullock holding and the next play uh, the touchdown run there so um, that was they were using a base defense what I call base defense um, which is you know a true five down lineman or not five true five down but five down defense alignment slash outside linebackers and then so, after they came out of that break they called for the nickel and everyone was trying to yeah. run off and Braylon was one of those guys they were like come on Braylon that was on the first down play because it was the first play of the quarter yeah. so they switched yeah, sorry, yeah, the, out of the out of the and then on second down quarter. in second down and then after the penalty he was both those plays he was in Similar question, uh, Big T37 on YouTube asks after all the rotating we saw yesterday why didn't we see Sam Green get any run I I honestly don't know because Sam 
obviously was a standout of spring, uh, had a great spring game, but also just you have to keep the momentum going, you know, off of that. And fall camp is a different beast than spring. You have a lot of guys coming. You have a lot of those older guys, you know, getting a different kind of mindset because it's fall camp, you know, seasons go, starting jobs are being defined right now. And I think he got a little lost in the wash. He got moved from rush end to defensive line. You know, he is a smaller defensive lineman when you consider him against all those guys there as opposed to the rush end. So he was kind of flipping back and forth. I think he did get a little bit banged up so that he cost a little bit of time there. And then he was kind of working on scout team during this week. So, you know, he wasn't really getting full run with the guys who were, quote unquote, going to play. Uh, So... That is something I think he's just fallen a little bit down the depth chart. But just because you're on scout team now doesn't mean you can't rise to uh, to play. Um, we should I haven't even mentioned him, but Elijah Hughes only mm-hmm. played seven official snaps. I feel like he made something happen on four of them at least. Like that dude is is when the coaches watch the tape, he'll be he'll be in the lineup more next week. Yeah, I was surprised how early he came in as well. I think that's kind of the rotation and kind of in that um, kind of same thing with the offense because he came in, uh, there was a second and six play and the second and 17 play. Uh, so, you know, that was his first two snaps, but he made a play on both of those, uh, both of those. He was the one that got the holding call on his first snap. So, uh, you know, I was impressed with a little bit, especially because he's kind of been an unknown just because he's a three-star guy from across the country. And since we don't get to watch practice, you know, didn't know the level of competition since it is the DMV, you know. <laughs> uh, but Virginia, baby. Have they even had a Heisman winner come from that? I don't know. Uh, just one. Um, but, yeah, so it was it was interesting to see when he got in there. He definitely made some plays. So I think he'll be a guy you see get some more uh, opportunities next week. And Jack said he has a great motor. He's just raw. And, obviously, he was. I thought he was going to be a rush end, but it seems like he's embracing his inner Bubba. He looks bigger than when I saw him kind of early in the, in the spring kind of summer. So, yeah, Elijah Hughes looking like a steal for Sean Nua out of the uh, Virginia area. Uh, and Cardam asks, what did you guys think of the goal line defense? He thinks that it felt like they had flashes of resilience. Yeah, I think that with the body types they now have, you're not just going to get pushed back because that was the case last year. Like you're asking Stanley to Tafu and Tyrone Tolini to hold the line. And then you're trying to – because those guys are smaller and will get pushed back with double teams, you're trying to send more guys up. So now you're more susceptible to throws and different things like that. So I think just having Barry Alexander in there and having Keon Bars, like they're just more stout. So the the goal line has a better opportunity um, for other guys to go make a play. Like you know Mason Cobb can come off the edge, and I thought Jack Sullivan beat the block on that play too. He was there to make the tackle if, if Mason Cobb didn't. So, yeah, some flashes again. And that's the thing I try to say. There there were some flashes on the defensive side, and there is definitely still stuff to clean up. I think it would have been really interesting to see, had there not been the Bullock hold, how they would have fared on, I think it would have been third and goal from the yeah. two. Like that, that, we didn't really get to see a yeah. like a chance for a goal line stand on third down. And I, I'm interested to see the first time that they've got one of those because they had made that negative play on the play before that first time they tried to run it from the one yard line. Mm-hmm. So there was a resilient play there, I guess, but you never really know what it's like until third down, maybe even a fourth down. Uh, we got a couple more questions. Andrew says, who is going to be the toughest test for SC the first half of the season? Question. Uh, low key, I think 
Arizona State randomly, I think, will be. I think that's the old. I would say Arizona. I, would, I mean, that's the is first. That, is that the first half? I don't know the schedule off the top of my head. I, I just know that the last six games, the one only like real layback is Cal. So Arizona's first half of the season. I think they're the best team of that group. We're going to have this game. Yeah, I would also. Uh, I think Stanford will be overlooked. I think they're going to be much better than they were just because I think they're going to have better coaching. They don't have talent. They don't have the talent. But I think they will play really hard and give, at least in the first half, should give USC um, you know, a little bit of push. And so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes and how Stanford does the first couple of weeks. But I, I think they'll overachieve a little bit based on their talent because I'm, I'm high on Troy Taylor as a coach. Yeah, Arizona is at home. I think they'll be scrappy, but I'm just kind of looking at Arizona is like that first road game. Arizona State. Arizona State. Arizona State sorry. I, 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 since Jack mentioned, I think it's Arizona because you had a, a mobile quarterback gave him fits last year in Jaden Delora. Um, they missed a ton of tackles last year. That tells you there's playmakers there. Uh, T Mac and you know, some of those. Dorian Singer's not there anymore, but they still have uh, Jacob Cowing. So they've got some. They got some playmakers, and I, I think Jed Fish has done a really good job as far as recruiting Arizona and keeping guys in Arizona after a bunch of guys left, getting transfers to come back to the Arizona because there is talent in that area. I think that's the big litmus test for the secondary. I think that might be the the, the second best group of receivers they'll face this year outside of Washington. I mean, Cowing and, and T-Mac are obviously a very good combination. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that game fares. But uh, a banger for the last question. Lance asks, who does Branch remind you of most? Uh, we don't want to say it. What? I don't want to say it because I don't want to put that pressure. We've just been dancing around it. I mean, we, we've heard a lot of different comparisons. I think the one that seems to fit to me the most is uh, uh, Tyreek Hill. I think that's the potential he has. I think that's his 247 evaluation comp. Tyreek. Jamil Muhammad says DeAnthony Thomas. I don't think DeAnthony Thomas because... Yeah, Anthony Thomas uh, was so much more slight. Like I feel like Zachary Branch is so thick for the small guy. Like he can bench. He's built. He can bench like a million pounds. I think is the exact number. Is that right, Chris? A million. A million. A million. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. Um, but yeah, he's just, like the the legs are super thick. Whereas Anthony Thomas was just so much shake and to just make so many guys miss. Which um, Branch, I think his burst is what's so special about him. The acceleration, you saw it on that kickoff, um, but he can do that out of cuts too, and that's what I think makes it special. I would have said it before the game yesterday, and I got in a couple arguments with some people on the sidelines. That's no voice. Is, uh, you know, partly. Um, is that, you know, I think he's the best returner USC's had in my time covering him. And that includes Adoree Jackson. That was the, the one that people said, you know, no, I think Adoree's still the best returner. I would I would give it to him. And I love Adoree. Adoree's one of my, my favorite That's players ever. That's hurting. Shotgun to yeah. say that. It's <laughs> killing him to say that. I, I'm excited to ask Gerard who Zach Branch reminds him of. Zachariah Branch, excuse me. Everyone, everyone says that I, I, that it's Tyree Kill. I think on the re, on the returns at least, he looks like Hill's teammate Jalen Waddle from when he was at Alabama, just returning the ball. Like I mean, Hill does so many great things as a receiver, but I I'm not sure he works the same way as a returner. Like I know he could if they you put him back there every single time, but for me, when he was returning the ball yesterday, it looked like Waddle. I just think the physical comparison of Tyreek Hill is, yeah. is what kind of stands out to me. It's just body type, because uh, that's usually what you're looking at when you're doing comparisons. And you know, but like I said, explosive playmaker, fun to watch. 
we've been trying to tell you. You guys got a glimpse of it. And that's just a glimpse because he can. He's got a lot more in the tank that he could do. Um, wait till he breaks out a backflip or something, you know, <laughs> on a touchdown or something like that. Uh, you said you're out of questions. I had a couple that I had kind of started real quick. Just uh, quick things. Jerry said, "Hey, can we give it up to the punter? No shank punts." I was. I all two of them was expecting yeah. to be more impressed. I think the the punts average. I think he was like two for eighty five. Um, I know one was out of the end zone, but like his first punt where he had as much you know room to get it off as he wanted. It wasn't like forty yards. We're not asking to do too much. Just get it 40, 40 to forty five. No big returns. Yeah. and don't shank any. You know that's the whole. That's fair. Jack was not a fan of the punt game. So. I didn't say not a fan. I, I was expecting you. You hear all Pac-12 punter and I, expecting. We want ninety yards every punt every time. <laughs> not every time. When you're coming out of end zone. I think yeah. it's more interesting the kickoff duties because it started with Zaplicky, then they went to Dennis Lynch, put it out of bounds at, I think it was near the ten yard line, it's, and then they went back to Zaplicky. Well, Lynch had two, and one mm-hmm. his first one was to the ten yard line. So yeah, I didn't really understand that either, um, and I I'm chalking that up to scrimmage all right let's put somebody out there let's just see what he does type of thing um but yeah i think Zaplicky will handle that going forward and last one i had big ts or said i understand lincoln is trying to get young guys snaps in these games i also understand in two weeks we will see rotations tighten up pac-12 play but isn't it important to get into a rhythm on both sides i thought that was kind of an interesting you know it, 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 that is kind of the um the dynamic you're trying to you know the line you're trying to float on it's like how do we get you know all those offensive linemen how do we get those guys some reps, but also how do we make sure we have the cohesive unit? Because you know someone's going to get hurt at some point on the office line. It happens every single year. So you need to get guys reps, but you also need to get them to jail. So it's it's a fine line. That's the, the thing that you know Lincoln Riley gets to pay $10 million to figure out, I guess. I think Jack asks, Justin Dietrich, a great question about that. How do you be consistent when you're constantly changing the people around you? Yeah, it's like, well, the, the, the lineups are, are inconsistent on purpose, but you're trying to be consistent with your play. And, you know, he, he, he kind of dismissed it, said, I, I, it's not hard for us because we do it in practice. But I definitely think there's something there on, you know, whether it is a secondary where it's all about trust and trusting that, you know, Damani Jackson is going to be outside. And so Max Williams can cover the middle of the field. But when Damani Jackson's working next to Bryson Shaw sometimes or next to, you know, Max Williams at other times, like it, it's all things that are changing. I think the offensive line is where you see it the most, where I, I figured they would have the most trouble because it's all about communication, uh, you know, trusting where the guy next to you is going to be, which guy he's going to get. But, you know, Didich being the leader he is, I think he wasn't ever going to say that it's something they're struggling with. But, you know, they have been working at it in practice. So maybe it is something they're more comfortable with. If we did tunnel vision all season, our chemistry would be great. But if we kept you kept sw- switching you out for Ryan and then maybe throw Ryan over here and then Connor Connor's here and then RJ is like, which is going to happen, by the way. It's going to be a, a rotation. But it would be different every time. And I feel like we wouldn't have the same cohesion as if we were just to do it all together. So you can switch out and stuff. But once you have a solid unit or rotation or show whatever you you will find that consistency so at some point they do need to pare it down yeah and and find that who's our five who is going to be and then who's maybe our swing guy who comes in and, and all that but yes it is important to get those reps because they're not super deep so you do need to get those guys experience it's also much different in practice versus a game when 
a team runs something you haven't seen before, and suddenly there's just a guy flying in a different gap um, or a guy coming over, you know, a big stunt, coming over two gaps or something, you know, do you pick it up versus not? They had that happen actually yesterday. There was one play where the defense went two gaps over and it was not picked up. Um, and I, I think actually USC, you know, got a successful play out of it. But, um, you know, those are the things that you can practice a ton of stuff. Uh, but in a game when something you haven't seen comes up, do you have that relationship with the person beside you to know by sight, by feel, that guy's going to pick him up or I need to pick him up? And that's the thing that was is so underrated with offensive line play um, and so underrated about last year's group is because they had been together for five years for the, the vast majority of that group you kind of know you know that feel of if I'm Andrew Voorhees I know you know the guy beside me I know Brett Nealon what he's gonna, whether he's going to grab that guy or I need to come over and help out those type of things you can just feel you can tell um, by honestly you can tell by their sounds uh, of being around them enough of you know, you can hear whether they're going away whether they're coming towards you whether they're picking those type of things up so all that is, is stuff that is learned with experience and you don't really get it until you're facing a different opponent and you know, as Lincoln Riley said a couple weeks ago, it's like it's it's completely different in college football because there's no inner squad or no uh, scrimmages against an opponent. There's no you know preseason games. There's no exhibitions. It's you jump right into it, and then you got to figure things out on the fly a little bit. So that's another reason why I say it's one game. Don't flip out just yet. Someone asked um, how we thought Miller Moss played in relief of Caleb Williams, and I thought that was one thing that we yeah. should mention. I thought he played very well. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's just nice to see him, you know, put in all that work and then get rewarded to be able to get opportunities and plays and be able to score at the end of a game. I do feel bad for I think it was Darwin Barlow who got absolutely crushed yep. on that. I th- it, I was looking at that and I was wondering like, did he go down on purpose to throw a little bit of a block there or? Yeah, he went. He went down. Yeah. rather than getting hit more. Well, like from my per- when I when my like if you watch it on my my field highlights, which are out by the way, quick plug, it looks like he gets absolutely rocked uh, from my angle, and then Miller untouched. Yeah, but I thought Miller looked good and play action, take a deep shot, put the ball where it needs to be for your big receiver. So those type of things, I thought he did well. Um, you know, the couple of throws that he made on the outside, even the incompletions throw it low and away from the defense. Uh, I thought the ball placement was really good for him. I mean, super small sample size. I don't know the San Jose State roster in game one well enough to be like, oh, those are backups or those are all starters or how exactly it kind of matched up that way. But he did what he needed to do. And then when he needed to make a read, he made the read and went in for the, took it to the house for a touchdown. Yeah, I thought there was only one throw that really came out of his hand wobbly. I think it was the com- Completion to I'm trying to remember who it was to, but it was on the left side of the field. It was it was a curl route. Threw um, one to, to Deuce Robinson that was short mm-hmm. because he had pressure in his face and he was kind of off his back foot a little bit. Um, maybe even got his arm in. I'm not sure. Uh, also, you, since you mentioned Darwin Barlow, I, I just love when that kid runs the ball. Yeah, he runs so hard. I don't understand what he's not doing to not get more opportunities. And I think I've asked about it in the past, but, like, I, there's never been a – and they won't probably give us a straight answer of, like, hey, he doesn't do this great. But when he has the ball in his hands, he makes things happen. He runs so hard, um, and he's such a nice kid when you talk to him that, you know, I hope he gets some more opportunities. I know it's tough with how much – how loaded that uh, that running back room is, too, seeing what Quentin Joyner could do out there. 
Well, Chris's favorite grown man runner dating back to last year. Grown man. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd had some grown man runs. And a grown man pancake yesterday. Really impressed. Um, those, all nice, all nice. Really impressed by his balance. Yep. His great balance, ability to stay up after the first contact. And that, I think that's when you, you see his numbers, like the PFF, yards after contact. I think he averaged five, four yards after contact last year per run. Like That's where you see it's coming from because he, he, he does such a great job of – He's small, but you know that low center of gravity, being able to balance it and stay on his feet. Maybe work with uh, Anthony Lucas after practice. Coming off that the, that bend. Uh, also, also shout out to Austin Jones. We didn't even talk about him, but two rushing touchdowns. <laughs> Very business like celebration. Just stood up, shake a couple hands, and then move on. So the veteran got two scores, to start the thing, and a nice thirty-seven yard run. Uh, he doesn't have that extra gear as maybe a Zachariah Branch or Lake Brown, but. Nice big run for the for the senior. And I mean, he only averaged nine yards a carry. <laughs> That's it, yeah. And and the reason why his average was so low is because he had six carries, and one of them was a two-yard touchdown, and one of them was a three-yard touchdown. So to dropping his average. There. A hoss. I mean, he had – that's – I mean, when you look at it in the context of the opportunities he had, that was a fantastic game. Yeah. We haven't yeah. talked about him. But that's what he does. He's so professional. And I thought it was interesting, like you said, the uh, how professional his um, – Reaction was the celebration, and Makai Lemon, his first touch or second touchdown, excuse me, was the first guy to get there. And Makai Lemon's going crazy, and Jared Kingston, off his lineman coming over, uh, may have been his first USC touchdown. I don't know for Kingston if it was first or second, but he's super excited. Austin Jones is like, "Yep, that's what I do. That's what I do." Yeah, I like Zach, Zach Zachariah Branch's touchdown, and then Kingston was like, "You want uppies? Yeah, you want uppies? You want uppies?" <laughs> He didn't say you want uppies, but it was just like just watching the camera. Hey, you want? Did he say free candy? Ooh, free candy. <laughs> when the offense scores 56 points, it's easy to shout at everyone. I, I remember watching the Lake McCree block on Chris's field highlights. That was what sprung Jones for his second touchdown. I mean, he, he could have walked in. He could have somersaulted twice in. Really nice setting. Like the, the, the offense is professional, and I know that fans – Excited by the offense, not as excited by the defense. But there's a lot to shout out for everyone. I know that we've already talked for a very long time about this game. So I'm going to end it by asking you guys to summarize the game in one word. And I want to do this after every game on the recap to close it out. I'll start just because I know I don't want to spring it on you guys. My word was expected. You know, we expected them to play a lot of guys. I expected the offense to be very good. I expected them to win. I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting the defense to be perfect in game one. I thought they played as expected. I'll say evaluation because it's just a lot of looking at what you have let's see who's real let's see who's going to be a big role in this more so with you know offensive line and everything and defense but evaluation let's go back let's look at this game tape and then let's let's figure out where we need to improve and where we can fix things that's a really good one good job chris good job very professional um i was thinking initially scrimmage uh, because i've said that a couple times about it Work to do. That's three words. Come on. Work to do. Classic shotgun break. Or to, I was going to say, or to follow the rules to make it one word incomplete. Okay. Incomplete. Like, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, And I'm not ready to fire everyone and throw the baby out. We're going to let the baby cry a little bit this first week. (laughs) Week three, you ain't got no sleep yet. (laughs) Whoa. Now we're going to talk about something different. 
Well, this was a, a fun tunnel vision. I'm glad we got to talk about so many different things, and we'll be back here every Sunday after USC has a game, of course, recapping whether they won, whether they lost, and, of course, our biggest takeaways. Thank you guys so much for filling up the comment section with all of your guys' questions. And, of course, Shotgun's got one more thing. Can't get, can't get out of here yet. Wait. Make sure you like, subscribe, I was getting there. do all that. You didn't even but, let me? Oh. But I just wanted to tell everyone thank you so much. Uh, for all the love yesterday from whether it was at tailgates or we stopped by the house of victory tailgate that was really fun we got to check in with Brayton Elon he's you know working on his rehab he's doing great great to see him talk to some other athletes talk to a bunch of guys former players on the sidelines that's so much fun for me getting to catch up with guys and see how they're doing but it's also so much fun when you guys shout us out want to take a pic all those type things we love we love the interaction love to interact with you guys which is why I do not have a voice when I'm home in New Jersey, I don't talk to anyone. I don't have anybody to talk to. I just watch sports, do my thing. Now I'm out here, and literally I feel like I've been talking for two and a half, three days straight, and that's why I, I've, I lost my voice basically before the game started, so I was fighting through it. Um, but, you know, it was it's so much fun to be back out and see everyone and, you know, see everyone, uh, see all the former players and stuff like that, and see USC get a win and see that there's a lot of work to do. Um, but glimpses of the future and what could be for this team and still could be a very fun season for them if they clean up some of those things so we'll see i won't be back for a few weeks i won't be back out to the west coast until the arizona state game unfortunately uh, but i'm saving up those credits because that back half of the schedule is going to be it's going to be every week so um you know looking forward to all the great coverage you guys will have the next couple weeks and i'll be editing it all make sure you guys are tuned in for all that stuff well, yeah, you ruined my plan. Anyways, leave a like because Shotgun <laughs> with no voice just got through an hour and 45-minute podcast episode. If that isn't deserving of a like, I don't know what else is. Make sure you go reading all of the all of the articles posted on the website as well, uscfootball.com. We've got Tunnel Vision for you every Thursday previewing USC games and every Sunday recapping it. We won't have Shotgun for the next couple weeks, unfortunately, but now you get to go rest up that voice, and we'll see you later in the season. But anyways, for Chris Trevino and Shotgun Spratling, I've been your host, Jack Smith. Thank you for watching Tunnel Vision, and we'll see you next week.